Okay, we're in the book of Mark. And we, uh, we, we kind of did a segue uh, away from Mark for about six weeks. We did a series on faith, supplements of faith. We're back in Mark. And um, we're in Mark chapter 6. And tonight I'm calling it the seven aspects of wholehearted discipleship. Seven aspects of wholehearted discipleship. This past week, I had my favorite hairdresser who comes to my house. How about that? She comes to my house and she cuts my hair. And uh, it's really nice. Um, and, and I just love her. And she just had a baby, her first baby. A little baby was born, um, had to have a kidney removed, almost lost that baby. And so she really wanted to show me this, this little guy. And so here's this, this little, uh, David Benjamin is his name. And here's these rosy cheeks and this big smile, this beautiful child. And the child looked just like daddy. And, um, and this child looked so beautiful. And, and I was reminded of the first command in Scripture. You know what it is? It's be fruitful and multiply. And I realized, you know, here's a proud set of parents with their first child. And there's grandparents. And I know the grandparents of this child. And I don't know the great-grandparents, but I know the grandparents. But I'm going to be at some point uh, not only a parent, but a grandparent. And it could be that I'll be a great-grandparent. Some of you here, anybody here a grandparent? All right. Awesome. Wow. Anybody here a great-grandparent? All right. So, see, that's cool. So, here's the deal. Guys, all of us are created by God to reproduce. It is, it is what God has made us to do is to reproduce physically. Well, in the same way, God has called every one of you in this room to reproduce spiritually. God has created greatness in your heart to reproduce yourself into others. In other words, what God has done in you, God has called you to reproduce in others. And we're looking at Jesus in, in Mark 1 through 5, 1 through 6 now. Jesus makes it kind of his target, his bullseye from the beginning to start raising up disciples. And so what Jesus does, he's walking along, and he just starts calling people to himself. And the first thing he says in Mark chapter 1, if you recall, if you've been with us a while, he said, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So he says to them right off the bat, if you're going to follow me, you're going to reproduce. It's not about just you feeling good about yourself or having your sins forgiven or even being healed by me. I'm going to do something in you that you're going to do to others. Now he's calling fishermen. They understood the metaphor. Okay, just like you fish for fish. It was more like this back then. It's more like real fishing's like this, by the way. Um, <laughs> But I know some of you are still bait fishermen. That's okay. You, at some point you'll graduate into true biblical fishing, which is fly fishing. But until that occurs, they didn't do either, by the way. They did nets anyway. So he calls them to fishers of men. So they're called into that. And he, and he starts spending time with them in an intentional relational environment. 
He starts eating with them. He starts hanging out with them. They go get around the fire. You know, they drink together. They party together. Then he starts doing stuff to people. And he starts like walking through villages and like casting out demons and stuff. That's probably not what they signed up for. And then he starts calling more and more. And then by Mark chapter 3, he says, the scriptures say he called 12 to himself that they might have power to cast out demons and heal the sick. So there's a little bit more now involved in this. And he, but, he, but he's not just telling them about it. That's what we do in America. We tell everybody about it. Talk. Talk, 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 talk. Preachers love to talk. They get paid to talk. And so in the church, we talk, 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 talk. Well, Jesus talked. He taught. But he did something different. He did it. He actually did the ministry. He actually started healing people. And he starts casting out demons. And these guys are just kind of going along and watching. And it's kind of neat because he's a stud, man. I mean, he's a superstar. He's a rock star. But by Mark chapter 6, something's about to change. And it's really freaky. Okay, so look at Mark chapter 6. Let's see what's going to happen next. So in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, that's where we pick it up. I'm calling it the seven aspects of wholehearted discipleship. And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two. And gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Also, he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for, that, than for that city. Verse 12. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. All right. I want you to look at this diagram up front. And this is called our triad. And this triad is a description of what I think Jesus did in the way of discipleship. And it has three parts. Know, flow, and go. Let me read to you what it says on the side. Jesus built a discipleship culture of knowing the word, flowing in the spirit, and going out to do the kingdom in an atmosphere of integrity and trust with him and others. This knowing part of what Jesus did was, a, was an intimacy with the heart of Christ. Don't miss this. I'm not going to hammer this a lot tonight, but don't miss this. That knowing Christ intimately flows with all of this. 
This knowing Christ heart to heart. Then there is also this flowing in the Spirit, which is what we do in D groups. When we go into the Word, you guys that are in D groups, you understand this, that when you're in the D group, we read that passage, and then remember, we all get quiet for 10 minutes, and we let God speak to us. And then when we pray for each other, we let the Spirit flow as we pray into the heart of that other person. But then there's a third element, and that's the going part, the go part. And that is, folks, this is really, really important. If you don't go and do something, listen, if you don't go and do something with what God's doing in your heart, it will stagnate. You got to go. And so Jesus was, was teaching them in a knowing he was also teaching them through flowing, but then he was actually taking them on a going, and that's really what he's doing right now. He said, look, you guys are fishers of men. You guys have been given authority to heal the sick, cast out demons, to preach the kingdom of God. That's all fine and good, but now let's go do it. Let's go do it. So he sends them out. So here I want us to look at our passage and I think there's seven aspects to this. This knowing, flowing, and going. Seven aspects I'm calling of wholehearted discipleship. Some of you say, well, hey, I've been in the five aspects of a woman. I've been in the five aspects of a man. Now Steve's got the seven aspects of discipleship. I totally copied that, but there's seven, not five in this case. Okay, number one. Number one. Don't miss this. Number one. He called the twelve to himself verse 7 he called them to himself Jesus called them to himself personal discipleship all starts here in a personal growing intimate relationship with Jesus wholehearted disciples listen don't miss this have a heart to heart relationship with Jesus you're growing in intimacy with Jesus. In any kind of discipleship, I don't want you, if you're in a discipleship, I have a, I have a D group with, with six guys. I have a D group with our shepherds here at the road. I have D group with our stewards here at the road. I, don't, I want them to have an intentional relationship with me, but my goal is not that. My goal is an intentional heart-to-heart relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm pointing people to Christ. You are pointing people to Christ. It starts with he drew them to himself. Men and women, any Bible study you're in, any group you're part of, don't stay in that group if the group is about the leader. The group is about Jesus. Hello? I know that's so basic, but it's so important because it so rarely happens. A small group it's about Jesus and guiding people to Christ, loving Him, worshiping Him, falling in love with His beauty. And I read the Psalms. You see David just longing for relationship with that pre-incarnate Christ. Today I was on my prayer walk and I'm looking at the trees and they're all different. And I'm seeing the uniqueness of the beauty of God's creation and the majesty of it all. 
That's a picture of Jesus. We're drawing people to the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. So first of all, number one, we draw people to Christ. Secondly, it says he began to send them out two by two. Don't miss this, verse 7. He sent them out two by two. They were called to go out two by two because it was a relationship they had to have. Men with men. We don't go at this Christian thing alone. This is not Rambo Christianity. This is SF Christianity. This is Special Forces Christianity. We watch each other's back. When we go into fights, you've got to have friends. Now, you women get this way better than us men, so I'm going to make you men super uncomfortable right now. This is not Atlas holding up the world. You guys know the, the picture of Atlas holding up the world. That's most men's that's what you're taught since you're a toddler, is that you can go alone, you're a maverick, you're a leader. And I'm telling you, it doesn't work. It's not working. It's not working in our culture, and it's not working in the church. We need brothers. You women need sisters. You gotta, you gotta have campfires with guys. You gotta have Bible studies with guys. You gotta go fishing with some guys. You gotta go hunting with some guys. You gotta study God's word with some guys. Men, we've gotta hang together heart to heart. He sent them out two by two. Think about it 12 guys. Strategically, wouldn't it have made more sense to send out 12 different guys? Instead, he only covered six areas because he sent them out two by two. Men, listen to me. You can't do it alone. Discipleship is hanging with some men. I will promise you this, and I'm so sad to say this, but I'll promise you I've been at this for over 35 years, this Christian thing, since being saved. And I can tell you, if you primarily don't have some guy friends in your life, you will not be growing at the pace at which God wants you to grow. And secondly, you'll probably be gone in the next five years. You will tube it. You will. You see, you see what we guys are, what we all, all us men in this room struggle with is, do I have what it takes? Every one of you young people in this room, that's, that's the question you're constantly asking yourself. Do I have what it takes? The answer to that question is yes in Christ. You have what it takes. And you have what it takes with other brothers. And Satan is so... You know what Satan's most fearful of? Satan is not fearful of worship. Satan is not fearful of big churches. Satan is not fearful of feeding the poor. Satan is not fearful of a few of us going out and preaching the gospel. What Satan really fears is a group of men... 
who start discovering that they can have a heart set free. To follow and to be used in the ways of God that exceed all expectations, abilities, and talents because the power of spirit flowing through them. That is what Satan fears. And that's why us men, our whole life, the enemy's been attacking your heart. Trying to take out your heart. I say, let's stop that. And let's start having brothers that gather around and become a team. So in 2015, now you women are going, why does he keep talking to the men? Because that I need to. Now you women, you, you got a bunch of messed up things in your life too. But, um, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you men, listen, 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 listen. If we men begin to discover that intimacy and that heart-to-heart relationship with Christ and start banding together with some other men, we strike fear into the heart of Satan and demons. So that's the second aspect. Two by two. They, we need each other. Thirdly, he gave them power over unclean spirits. They had power given from Jesus, not their own power, but power from the one who commissioned them. Wholehearted disciples possess kingdom power. Do you know that? Men and women, do you know that? You have kingdom power. You are a son. You are a daughter of the king. And God can use you beyond your wildest dreams if you'll step out by faith. As God begins to give you people who need relationship with you, with those around you, and you start to recognize these agreements of the enemy, first of all, it really begins with us, with our agreements with the enemy that we've made that limit the power of the Spirit in our lives. Many of us here, including myself, have made agreements with the enemy that the, the, those voices, that scripting that goes through, that says, well, I, I'm really not good at that, and I really can't do that. And before you know it, it's like, can't, don't. And with it comes with it this, these strongholds of the enemy that hinder the power of the Spirit in you. You've been given authority and power. And in 2015, we're going to do some training on how to, how to cast out demons. I can't wait. I'm excited to take us through a training where we can go through and start looking at, you know, what, what are the, how can we recognize the demonic strongholds of our own life? But then how can God use us mightily as daughters and sons of the king to set the captives free? And that's another message altogether. Verse 8. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts. But to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Now this is not a wardrobe issue here. This is not talking about what we can and can't do today. But the point, the, the, the philosophical point is this. Number four, he's telling us to live simply. He's telling them to live simply. Wear the cloak of materialism lightly. Wholehearted disciples live simply. Some of you come out of uh, Catholic backgrounds. You may have heard about the Dominican order. It's an order in the Catholic Church. And there's a story told of, of Dominic 
while in Rome seeking authorization for his order from the Pope. So the Pope takes Dominic all over Rome, a tour of the treasures of Rome and the treasures of the Vatican. And really quoting from Acts 3.6, the Pope says to Dominic, Well, Peter, I guess, can no longer say, silver and gold, have I none. Dominic looked straight into the eyes of the Pope and he said, no. And neither can he say, rise up and walk. You see, what happens is we become so burdened with all of our stuff that we lose the anointing and the power because we have to spend the rest of our life trying to keep up with all our stuff. And he's saying, look, live simply, be careful with stuff, and I'll use you. I'll take care of you. I'll meet your needs. Some of you are out of work right now. Some of you are underemployed. Some of you are unemployed. The Lord is with you. He's going to take care of you. You know why I know that? Because I've been there. But also the reason I know this is because the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You can't have bread without money, and you can't have money without a job. So at the core of Christ's resources is he's going to provide for you. Cry out to him. Call out to him. Keep looking. Keep searching. But you cry out to him. Watch what he'll do. How many of you have been out of work? In the past, and then seeing God kind of miraculously provide for you and then give you work. Amen. He will. Also, he said to them, In whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, I like this, shake off the dust under your feet. As a testimony against them. Seems so mean. (laughs) Assuredly I say to you. It will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. Hello. In the day of judgment than for that city. See how much he loves you. Jesus is a lion of Judah man. This is not Mr. Rogers. I'm sorry. Some of y'all saw my posting on Facebook about Mr. Rogers. I think Mr. Rogers must be a really great guy. I know he's a Methodist minister and all that. So it was nothing against Mr. Rogers. I was just making a point of contrast. So you saw some of the responses I got. I was no way I was going to apologize for that. So sorry. So, But just want you to know, I think Mr. Rogers is a really cool guy. He's a nice guy, I'm sure. But I don't want to be him. I just don't. Number five. Fifth aspect, he's telling them not to fret, worry, or become frustrated over those who don't agree with them or follow them. Wholehearted disciples forgive and move on with those who reject them. Guys, you can't sit there and try to please everybody. There's a point where as you are who God's made you to be, and I'm not saying you're ever going to be perfect, and you always need to ask for forgiveness. Of course you do. But it's not going to be received a lot of times. Some people just flat want to hurt you. And you got to finally decide this is really getting dysfunctional. 
I mean, some of you come out of backgrounds where you've been pushed around, kicked around, molested, moved, pushed all your life. And I want to give you heart to say, you don't have to put up with that crap. Because the reality is that's not from God. All right? So you, so you know what that I, the, the metaphor he's using is what the Jews would do is whenever they left the Jewish territory and they went into Gentile territory, what they, what they did because of their... Um, to make a, a point against the paganism of the Gentiles is when they entered back into Jewish territory, they were literally taking the dust from Gentile territory and dusting it off so they wouldn't contaminate the beauty of Israeli ground that was a monotheistic uh, uh, worshiping community. So it's basically saying, look, I have nothing to do with these guys. I'm coming back into my territory. And so, and so sometimes we're going to face stuff. And the more you walk and the more you become wholehearted disciples, you're going to get rejected. You're going to be in battles. You're, you're going to get attacked. I want to empower you. I don't mean be mean. I'm not saying that. But I'm also saying you don't have to have a little sweater on either that you and take your, put your little loafers on. And watch the train go around. Okay. I am saying though. That God. God calls us. God calls us. With a conviction. Of love and compassion. Mercy of course. But not catering to the enemy. In the process. So. Jesus says. Just dust off your feet. And move on. Don't be shackled with those agreements of the past of the enemy. Start moving forward with the adventures that God has for you in the future. Verse 12. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Sixthly, sixth perspective Wholehearted disciples are proclaiming and demonstrating a holistic gospel. The kingdom of God is word and deed. Not just word and not just deed. It's word and deed. And so that's why I challenge us, even as we come into the Thanksgiving season, even as we come into the Christmas season, maybe you should come on Wednesday nights here and help feed the poor. Come here and minister to them. Maybe you've got a heart for Springs Rescue Mission. Or maybe you have a heart for what the Catholic Church is doing with their soup kitchen downtown. I don't know. Let God lead you. But there's, there's this part of that word and deed. God's going to give you chances and opportunities right in King Supers. I'll tell you, if we start praying, God, use me wherever I go today. You'll start to see things that you haven't seen before. I, I, we've got a young lady in our church that just a couple weeks ago was at King Supers. And she was there, and she was looking. She was in the bread area, and she shared with me. She just had this sense about this person to her right. So she looked at it. She said, now, I know this sounds really weird. But I feel like God told me to ask you how you're doing. You don't know me from Adam. And that led into a conversation where she got to pray with her. If we will start letting our minds and our hearts be open to that, and God knows that, watch out. You just entered a big adventure. And so instead of, I'm going shopping, 
Which, by the way, that sounds like hell on earth to me. I mean, that's the most hellacious thing I can think of. I'm going shopping. I haven't been shopping in like a hundred years. And I'm just happy as a June bug in spring. Let me tell you that. But, but the idea, instead of shopping, I'm going on a mission. It just happens to be at Safeway. It just happens to be at the best place that I know of, Eddie Bauer. Okay? <laughs> Cabela's. I'm going on a mission to Cabela's today. It's a holistic gospel. You, do you realize, church, that, that God cares about us mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and socially? He cares about all of that. He cares about those things. He, he wants you walking in that holistic gospel of healing. Verse 14. Now you're gonna, I'm going to read this. You know, what in the world does this have to do with discipleship? Just hang in there. Hang in there. There's actually, when I read this and I went, oh, I know exactly how this relates. It has nothing to do with John the Baptist, really. But. Now, King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. And therefore, these powers are at work in him. Others said, it's Elijah. Let me just say, you start walking as a disciple of Christ, and you're going to get compared to all kinds of weirdos. I promise you. Others said, it is the prophet or like one of the, whom I, uh, one, one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John whom I beheaded. He's been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Verse 19. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things, and he heard him gladly. Verse 21. Then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers, and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod, and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry Yet, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent an executioner, commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all these things, both what they had done and what they had been taught. How does this relate? The first disciple of the New Testament is John. Even poor Jesus proclaimed his discipleship to his father was John. John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. John was the first of the New Testament disciples. First disciple, first apostle. 
Seventh, lastly, wholehearted disciples are dangerous. Wholehearted disciples are dangerous. John was dangerous to the religious order. John was dangerous to the status quo. I pray that at the road we might become men and women who are dangerous for the kingdom of God. Dangerous to the kingdom of the enemy. Dangerous to status quo. Dangerous to those who love religion. John, dangerous. He lost his head because he was dangerous. Men, you're supposed to be dangerous. It's the reason you like all those movies about Braveheart. It's why you're not that inspired by Pride and Prejudice. I'm sorry, ladies. That's the beauty you were created for. You're supposed to love those. You drag us men to those movies. You're called. You men are called to a William Wallace dangerous gospel. I challenge your hearts today. God can mightily use you men. Women, I I call you forth to be dangerous also for the kingdom. There's something within you of greatness that we men love to, to stand beside. You are warrior princesses too. You are warrior princesses. Don't let the enemy steal what you're called to do. Well, I'm calling it dangerous discipleship because one man equipping two, two men equipping four, four men equipping 16 can have an exponential impact. I want you to look at this diagram up here and see the power of the strategic thinking of Jesus. Jesus could have proclaimed the gospel to thousands every day of his three and a half years of ministry. Instead, he chose to disciple men. Look at the exponential impact. Year one, two disciples. Year two, four disciples. Year three, eight disciples, each discipling one. Year four, 16 disciples, each discipling one for six months. Year 5, 32 disciples. Year 6, 64 disciples. Year 7, 128 disciples. That's each disciple discipling someone for six months and then that person discipling a person and that person taking on another. Year 8, 256 disciples. Year 9, 512 disciples. Year 10, 1,024 disciples. Year 20, 1,048,000. 496, year 35, 8 billion disciples. This is dangerous, strategic discipleship. I want to challenge you guys as we go into 2015, be in a D group. Find a D group. Discover a D group. Be in a D group. Start leading a D group. 
And we'll, just, we'll be talking about this more in December as we move along. But these seven aspects will be a part of your discipleship and your growth in reaching this city for Christ. It can have an exponential impact.